In Ecclesiastes, uh, the third chapter, we find that famous passage that uh, was turned into a song. That there is a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot that was planted. And we, we here in Tulsa, we heard a message just a few weeks ago on that part of the, the passage. And it is very true, isn't it? We, the older we, we are, the, the more we know how true this is. There is a time for everything under heaven. There is a saying, isn't there, that there is only one constant in the universe. Do you know what that is? Change. One constant in the universe is change. Nothing stays the same. We move from one phase of life to another. We even have another phrase. All good things come to an end. There is a time for everything under heaven. But after the preacher has gotten our attention with those first eight verses, he goes on to say this in Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 9. What profit has the worker from that which he labors? I have seen the God-given task which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. The preacher is pointing out a, a cruelty, in a way, in this passage. A cruelty of truth. That everything is beautiful in its time, isn't it? You know, when we are younger, healthier, our skin's a little tighter, and our hair's got more color, and we're, maybe we were, didn't consider ourselves beautiful, but we look better than maybe we do now. Everything is beautiful in its time. And then we have this cruelty that God has placed in us a mind that is capable of understanding eternity. We have the ability to think that life can go on forever. We can almost understand it. We have been made in the image of God. We have this ability. And yet we have this ability in a very frail and feeble human body. A body that can sustain us for three score and ten, right? Maybe if we're good to our moms and dads, another ten years, or maybe we'll get to a hundred. But then at some point, our time is done. It comes to a close. And so he says this, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which has already been and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Eat, drink, be merry. Right? For tomorrow we may die. It's rather a negative picture, isn't it? It's a little depressing. 
Maybe it goes with the weather today. I don't know. The preacher does not give us much hope. He goes on to say this in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. Isn't that true? In the place of judgment, we find wickedness. We can look at our court systems. We can look at our own personal lives. Where we, we have great judgment and then we also sin. Wickedness resides in the same place where we have good judgment. What is that? And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and every work. I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. I'm not an animal. But of course we are like animals. God brings his judgment so that we will know and understand that we have an end. For all of our abilities, for all of our powers, for all of the great civilizations that mankind has made, in our natural condition, we are just like the animals. Unless something happens. Unless something happens to prevent that outcome. We're going to go to the same place that the animals around us go to. He says, for what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely, they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes downward? He's, he's questioning, do, do we know that for sure? He doesn't seem to have that answer. So I perceive that nothing is better that a man should rejoice in his own works for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Again, it's, it's kind of a depressing image, isn't it, of human life? But that's precisely what many worldviews that we have today in this, in this world tell us is our outcome. That's the atheist worldview. That's the Darwinian worldview. This is the end result of a materialistic process that we have organic life and we have electrical impulses and we make decisions in our brains that are really just a combination of electrical impulses and organic life and then we die. We are all going to the same place as the animals. But is this true? The question that the preacher leaves us is one that he is not capable, seemingly, of answering himself. He says, for who can bring a man or a woman to see what will happen after him? Who can do that? When we die, yes, we become as the animals. We know nothing. Nothing in the grave. We have no consciousness, no awareness. We have no idea what will be after us. I like to do woodworking. I don't get to do it as much as 
I would like to. <laughs> I have a family and work and, and lots of things that take my time. But whenever I do go into my, my woodworking shop at my house, I'm always reminded of my father-in-law, Pat Dennis. I'm reminded of him because after he passed away, I inherited some of his tools. A circular saw, a compressor, a ratchet set, a nail gun, some screwdrivers, maybe a chisel or two. And at different times when I use those tools, I remember him. But he knows nothing of what I have made with those tools. He does not know that I use them to build things for his grandsons. He doesn't know. I can even hear his voice in my mind. Maybe a little bit along the lines of, uh, I think you're doing that wrong. <laughs> There's a better way of doing that. I can hear his voice in my mind. And I'm so clearly remembered, remember him. And it's just like yesterday. But he knows nothing of this. We all die and the world moves on and nothing of what comes after us can be known by us. But this cannot be right. This cannot be right. How could this be? Why would God place the ability to understand, to perceive eternity inside us and then just leave us in these finite human lives? Well, there was a man that came to understand this, the answer to this. And oddly enough, he most likely lived long before the preacher here in, in Ecclesiastes. In what is considered to be one of the oldest books of the Bible, we find the truth of all of this. In Job chapter 14, verse 13, he says, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave. You know, remembering Job had gone through so much trial, so much torment. He's done. Let me out of here. Hide me in the grave. That you would conceal me until your wrath is past. That you would appoint me a set time and remember me. And then he asks the same question in a different way. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. There's that change word we mentioned earlier. That universal constant. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. What Job knew that the preacher of Ecclesiastes did not is that there is a change coming. A change. That constant law in the universe will be applied to each one of us. There is a change coming. If God does something, if he has a desire for the work of his hands, if he desires to see the things that he has made come up from the grave, if he has that desire, we will live again. If he calls us and if we answer. I find that interesting, isn't it? He says, you shall, you shall call and I will answer you. And in this life, we have a call. What will our answer be? Will we answer him? 
In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, the Apostle Paul makes clear what change is going to happen to us if we answer the call. If Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, and if we were baptized, if we have received the Holy Spirit, he says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can't inherit eternity as we are. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. That universal constant will be applied to us once more, even in death. We will be changed. Changed from life, or from death to life. From finite to eternal. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. I love the way that Paul writes this. He says, it must happen. It has to happen. It must happen. It's an imperative applied to us. Why must we be changed? Because the sovereign will of him who will change us says so. He says, so when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the, str the, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Notice, here's another answer. Paul was answering the questions of Ecclesiastes right here. Ecclesiastes says, well, we are just to enjoy the fruit of our labor for ourselves." But Paul, he says that we should labor in the Lord. That our labor should be for the Lord. Knowing that it is not in vain. We do not labor anymore for our own pleasure. Because we now are to labor for the Lord. We are to be about his work and the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we have a short time. We have a short time to do it. We are living on borrowed time. We need to believe in our Savior and be baptized for the remission of sins. We need to light the candle of, of Christ Jesus in our hearts and shine. And that's exactly what our next special music piece is all about. If you know this song, please join with us. It's a, a song entitled Borrowed Time. Thank you. 
Thank you, brethren. If you would, please uh, rise and join us. We're going to slow the pace a little bit yeah. before we have our prayer request.